Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 136. Um, I had a chat with Jesse Mulligan. You probably know him from uh, from TV3, from The Project. You probably also know him from RNZ, Radio New Zealand RNZ Afternoons. Um, he's been doing that show for about three years and, and uh, doing, the, doing the project show now. And also ahead of that, he was on Seven Days. He was a writer for Seven Days and then he was on the panel. Uh, way back, he was a stand-up comedian um, and he also worked in commercial radio. So, and a lot of people know Jesse too as a, as a food critic. He a, a, writes quite a lot and he's a, a restaurant and, and, and food critic. Uh, so Jesse and I work together in the, in the context that I'm, I appear on his afternoon show sort of once a month or so, talk about, um, talk about records, talk about new albums, and occasionally I sort of review a gig or, or do a music feature here and there. Uh, um, but we'd only actually met once, once, once before this. I was up in Auckland a couple of years ago, I reviewed the Prince concert, so I went into RNZ in Auckland and had a chat and met him. Um, usually we do it, you know, over the, f- I'm in Wellington, he's in Auckland, so we do it over the phone. Um, but I was up in Auckland for the Bob Dylan concert and um, he'd asked me to go and review the concert for his show. And I said, well, that's cool. Could we do a podcast? And we had talked about this previously. He was keen. So uh, I snuck into the RNZ studio in Auckland in the morning and recorded uh, the, the conversation you're about to hear. Um, in it, we talk about, as, as I do on this on this show, we talk about his uh, his life and his career. Uh, we talk a lot about comedy. We talk about stand-up comedy. He's, he's uh, a stand-up comedy uh, disciple, a fanatic, and 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 you know, I, I'm really interested in, in the history and and uh, I guess the theory behind stand-up comedy and what makes it work. I'm 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 a big fan of it. I'm not a practitioner of it, uh, unless you read my reviews and think they're fucking hilarious. And uh, you know, that's probably the closest I get to being a comedian in some people's eyes. Like, what the fuck am I on about, kind of thing. But Jesse actually is a comedian, or what was a comedian. He's not he's not currently working as a stand-up, but it's very much a part of who he is. It's and writing is so crucial to him. So we had some really good conversation here about writing, um, about criticism, the role of criticism, uh, and, uh, and and I guess the toll of criticism. Uh, and so I really enjoyed this conversation. It's uh, it's, it's good chat. Um, I've got to thank uh, Tea Leaf Tea and Le Petit Chocolat and Yeastie Boys as always. And um, I hope you enjoyed this. This is me chatting with Jesse Mulligan. You and I have only actually met, I think, once, but um, we've been talking on the radio for a bit, for, yeah. a few, for a few years now. Yeah, I got you on because um, there are too few fearless people in criticism, and I suppose that includes music criticism, and so I think we should look after the ones that we've got. Yeah, well... Let's give them a platform. I wanted to ask you about um, your relationship with criticism. I wasn't going to start with that, but since you've brought that mm. up, because I feel like... And I mean, you've just said it there. I, I, I mean, I know you you operate as a food critic, mm. and um, and I guess you've done other writing. You seem to have like yeah a concern of uh, around criticism. You seem to want to en- engage with it. You on your shows, particularly on the radio show, yeah. you 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 know you don't just pay lip service to reviewers. You have them, and you're quite invested in in the process, or at least getting them to explain the process. Yeah, I am. Um and I think it may come back from back, come back to comedy. You know, um, yeah. there's so much humour in criticising something. Yeah, for better or for worse, it's it's sort of, you know, one of the reasons I really like the Comedy Central roasts is that it's joke writing without any rules around it. Mm, you know, joke mm. writing where you don't need to um, 
you don't need put to put a trigger be... warning. <laughs> or, yeah, 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 yeah. Not not that I'm a fan of massively edgy comedy. I guess that's the point: is that when you have an agreed victim and a comedy roast, you can yeah. go as hard as you like, and it's a really yeah, great yeah. way to expand your um your or, or to flex your comedy writing muscle. Yeah, and so I think uh, criticism is related to that. You get to um, creatively explain why something is. Yeah. Bad. That's the most fun. Yeah. Uh, if you're any good, you can also be interesting and funny when you write about something being good as well. But certainly, you know, when I was um, living in London, you know, going down and getting the Saturday papers just to read people like Giles Corin and A.A. Gill and Toby Young, you know, reading them for the humour. Yeah. Writing about restaurants that I would never go to. Yeah, yeah. For, um, yeah, finding out about the subject as part of the style of the writing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, a good and writer should be able to engage you exactly regardless of the topic and, and I guess that's a that's a second sort of um, aspect to that is that I'm, I'm I'm so keen on readability I'm so keen on people um, making their writing or in your case you know your um, your interviews on the radio making it appealing because that's the, sort of the first job yep. of writing is that people have got to want to read it, and and so I think there's an aspect um, of that in which criticism is is, is quite appealing because you, even if you're writing about something that people um, will never experience themselves or have no interest in, it's a great exercise in making mm. your writing sparkle. Yeah, people have said to me before, why, why do you even bother reviewing a gig? It's over, it's been. You know, you can't sell more tickets. And yeah. it's like, that's not the reason for a review to exist. Like, you're, you're right. Like, if, if that's how you approach these things, mm. of course you're correct. The show has been and gone, but that's not the... You don't... You're not advising people whether to buy a ticket or not. No, you're, no. you're putting a gig in the context of all the gigs yeah. that have been beforehand. Yeah, and that I've been to. Yeah, and, it's, a, yeah. it's a historical piece of writing. Yeah, that's right. And it's also, yeah... It's like, who cares whether the promoter sells more tickets or not? That's their job. You know, that's, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. The, the reviewer is not. But we these relationships have formed over the years where to get to the gig, you've got to say nice things and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I was interested too about like, yeah, well, what's been your connection with criticism in terms of your career? Obviously, comedy, uh, you get reviews, you get good ones, you get bad ones. I imagine with your TV and radio work, the same thing is happening. Yeah, I haven't been reviewed very often, actually, and I certainly haven't been reviewed that memorably. You know, there was, like, early days of Seven Sharp, everyone had to go out reviewing yeah. that, which is fine. There wasn't there wasn't much great writing amongst it, you yeah. know, I've got to say. The, um, you know, the... the the writing in the Herald, I, there was, you know, the person doing TV criticism there, I don't think that was really their thing. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so the spin-off didn't exist, you know, uh, I wouldn't have minded getting a critical review from someone who could really explain what yeah. was going wrong. Like Duncan Grieve or something would be a good... Yeah, yeah, I think Toby Manheim yeah. may have written about, he might have, I think Toby might have done Seven Good Things About Seven Sharp and Seven Bad Things About Seven Sharp, which is, you know, mm. like, I, I honestly... I'm, Probably part of being a stand-up as well. In the past, is got pretty thick skin, you know. Yeah. Like I, and I'm I'm happy to read anything. But you know, I haven't been reviewed that often. Um, and, e- and even when something like the project gets reviewed, I'm not really mentioned. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that that's maybe it. that's part of that sort of uh, New Zealand thing where you don't tend to attack the man too hard. Yeah, yeah. And um, your 
Yeah, I, I guess anyone with a Twitter account is a reviewer though these days too. So you can't actually keep up with everything that's being said about you. You'd go mad. If yeah, you right. yeah, I suppose so. And um, but yeah, again, I think people have sort of kick gloves on um, in New Zealand still, even on Twitter. I mean, for the most part, the, yeah. the, the only time you get really harsh things said about you. You click on the profile and they either haven't got a face or they've got yeah, yeah, yeah. thirteen followers or yeah. you know yeah um, education stops at primary school yeah and yeah. there's and there's you know like sometimes the silence is more damning on New Zealand Twitter I think you know yeah. like um, you know I can think of one person who um, who people are not really that keen on the work they do but instead of saying it on Twitter. They say it off Twitter, and then just on Twitter, it's silence. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Right. And that, I said to someone the other day, "Yeah, I just noticed that about that person. I, I wonder, I wonder if I'm getting that silence as well, because you wouldn't really know." <laughs> yeah. Now I feel a bit awkward when you're saying that person. You're not talking about me. <laughs> Look, <laughs> let's just let's just leave it at a person. A person. Um, so, well, where does all of this come from? What I'm what I'm curious to know about you is, um, you seem to be a nice person that works all the time how do both of those things and you and you have a family that I understand you don't ignore <laughs> yeah. so how the fuck does all of that happen <laughs> and before we sort of get to that um, perhaps we can talk through where you came from because I and in terms of geographically and I guess this what seems to be like a, an insatiable work ethic now are you making up for being a slacker <laughs> um, or were you always a diligent focused person I was a bit of a coaster really in the in, uh, high school and university so I'd do the minimum possible to yeah. um, to get by and I, I was always pretty good acad- academically so that was possible mm. um, in terms of the, the let's loosely call it the entertainment stuff that I've done or the media stuff that I've done um, I have probably been motivated by wanting to do a good job. Like, I'd be embarrassed to do a bad job, so I've done the amount of work necessary that I'm not humiliated. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is which is a quite... So I wouldn't call it a work ethic. I'm not working for the joy of work or, or for the sake of it or because I'm massively uh, disciplined or energised. I really just want to do a good job at the things I've committed to doing. And you kind of have to, I guess, in this line of work you know there's no there's no oh ask me again in six months and if I'm available I'll do that right you have to take the opportunities when they come up yeah and I do tend to commit to things sometimes I say no to a lot of stuff now but um if someone offers me an opportunity like Russell Bailey from The Listener Mm. messaged me a few months ago and said hey would you like to review this Robin Williams biography for The Listener and like does anyone need to put a 500 page book in their life that they've then got to you know mm, write about an assignment yeah but it's something I hadn't done before it's 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 a pretty wicked opportunity you know yeah, always yeah. been a listener reader and so I said yes like within a minute and then just worked out how to do it and I yeah. think you know that's probably been a pretty it's a pretty accurate model for how I've done everything right, okay. in the last 20 years so home was Hamilton yep Hillcrest and Hamilton yeah and what was going on there um so, I guess I, I was not really in the, in the Hillcrest 
mould or maybe just not in the general kind of mould of anywhere in New Zealand uh, as a teenager, but I was kind of like a little bit uh, different, got quite into like new agey sort of things at school, you know, learning to read tarot cards and draw astrology charts and, you know, all that sort of thing, numerology. And I've got to say, like, that was, those weren't core interests for people growing up in <laughs> yeah, Hamilton, yeah. you know. So I remember, like, one beach holiday always, like, springs to mind. We went to the went over to Mount Monganui, my brother's Holden. You know, like, 11 of us squeezed into this Holden. And everyone else sort of piled out and cracked some beers on the beach. And I sat in the car and read Autobiography of a Yogi. Um, <laughs> which, you know, like, looking back now... How insufferable is that? But it's probably a reasonable, good re- representation of my connection with the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with the other guys at school. So, so probably never quite fitting in. Always had a really solid group of two or three really good friends. Um, and then, yeah, left high school a year early uh, to to do law school. Didn't really connect with many people at uh, at university. A year younger living at home, so I didn't make any of those halls connections. Um, but built up a bit of a community around the student radio station down there, so I applied for a job and got to know a few people around there, mm. and, you know, like, thank goodness for that, really. Mm. Um, and where in your life do you discover comedy? Because, I mean, I, I've heard you talk... I've never had a conversation with you about comedy, but I'm a, a bit of a comedy nerd yeah. like most people that either perform comedy or check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I, I really have yeah. watched and listened to loads. and I'm You've, you've bought all the all the books about how the yeah, late night exa- shift exactly. went down. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. All the Saturday that, Night Live and, annuals. Exactly, and, and if yeah. I haven't quite read them all, I've got them lined up and yeah, I you know, plan both. to get to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I know that about you. Um, but does so does that come into your life before you perform comedy? Like, do you grow up watching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, definitely remember, like, um, just... So in terms of stand-up, okay, so, so I guess the formative, um, you know, early TV shows, Young Ones, yeah. Blackadder, Foldy Towers, Aloha Low, watching those with my brother and my dad in particular, yeah, yeah, yeah. just laughing and laughing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, friends having tapes, like someone had a, a tape of um, Rowan Atkinson, yeah. done various sketches, um, you know, the stu- you're a student and you don't have a pen, you know. Yeah. And then there was a guy doing a Thursday night um, comedy show on Contact, the student radio station in Hamilton. That was like 11pm to 1am, and I remember at school like staying up to listen to that, and he had some access to some really good stuff. Right, yeah. A bit of Weird Al Yankovic and um, you know, Ben Elton stand-up. And uh, and then, and then uh, meanwhile, there's a strand going along with Gary Shandling, which I've written about before. I wrote a, a sort of a, a eulogy, I suppose, yeah. for him, um, and I've talked quite extensively about my relationship to him, but, you know, it's Gary Shandling's show on a Saturday night, Larry Sanders, yeah. um, and then there's this other weird sort of aspect of it, which I also wrote about in that, but um, it, Playboy magazines, right? you yeah, know, yeah, so, yeah. so my dad used to buy Playboys, like, for the articles. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. That's the only reason they exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they would have these incredible... The Playboy interview is amazing. Yeah, oh, for sure. And they'd have these multi-page interviews with these comics, who I not all of whom I'd heard of, Dennis Miller, Bill Maher, Jay Leno, uh, Albert Brooks. And 
they were incredible because yeah. you had no YouTube back then. You literally, this was yeah, that was how you this found is the out only about information people. you yeah. were getting on about yeah. US comedy. I've got a similar story in that a guy I was in a flat with was did a student job search job for the summer and working in a warehouse, and his boss gave him a box of old pornos, right? And cl- you know, Mayfair, whatever, all yeah. sorts of things, but um, play- lots of Playboy, and I sort of I think. In our flat, I was the one that got busted reading the articles. Yeah. You know, I, just, <laughs> yeah. I was just pouring through these vintage Playboys. Well, reading. they had like stories by Joyce Carol Oates. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah you exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, George Plimpton. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. like and you know, bad, bad thing to bring up now, but like an interview with someone like Bill Cosby or Bob, yeah. Bob Dylan. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then all these comedy. It was you know, the only yeah. way you'd see those multi-page, yeah. like yeah. sprawling interviews conducted yeah. over over days at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, building up a, a bit of a sense of the scene, and and they have great jokes in them. You know, like I used to, even now I wonder how much prep someone like Gary Shandling would do for one of those Playboy interviews. You know, um, yeah, yeah, because the, the the lines were so perfect. You know, I can still remember. You know, the interviewer would ask him, you know, are you obsessed with your hair? And Gary Shandling would say, I used to be, but you know, as I've gotten older, I've realised it's the hair you have on the inside that counts. You know. <laughs> You know, like it's, amazing little one-liners that... Well, what I'm getting here is, and again, I think, you know, I'm probably similar to you in this, but um, there's all sorts of different ways a person can be funny in terms of comedy. Mm. But one of the things that attracts me mostly to, to comedy and, and a good comedian is the writing. The jokes, yeah. Yeah, the writing. And Gary Shandling, obviously, is a great example yeah. of a person who his medium just happened to be comedy. Yeah. But you could imagine him being... A really great feature article writer or something, perhaps. Yeah. You know, like it just happened to be that. Well, and he started as a writer. He started, yeah. you know, welcome yeah. back Cotter and writing jokes for yeah. um, for somebody famous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you know, and that's, that's me with Woody Allen. It's about the writing, you know. Totally. There's a, there's a delivery thing there that's part of it, sure. But same thing, you know, starts as a joke writer for other people, people buying his jokes. Exactly. And then, but then, you know. The, but Shandling and Woody yeah. Allen both did that thing where yeah. they went into clubs and started really getting that stage yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me probably 20 years as a stand-up to realise that it's not enough just to write these great little jokes sure. and stand up and read them out, you know, yeah, just yeah. because sometimes they connect and sometimes they wouldn't or, you know. But it's also not enough to to have like a presence, a charisma, a delivery without the material. But, but it I, is. I know it is. In a, but for in a, me, in a club, you yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm saying for me, for me it's <laughs> yeah. not, you know. Yeah. The act falls over if I think they've got nothing to say. Yeah. Um, so when well, so when do you, when does this translate for you? So you're building up all this stuff around comedy but you're not absorbing the young ones in Blackadder and going I'm going to do that one day at least not to begin with nah um, although I loved Gary Shandling enough that I almost you know like he was just what I wanted to be uh, and then sort of the right timing there was a um, a, a a heat for the New Zealand University comedy competition they had a heat at Waikato, which was basically the first time as competition, right? It's, it's the only time you'd get to go on stage and do comedy. Um, and so a mate, Grant Morris, who's still a regular contributor to, this show, uh, to my radio, radio show, um, he sort of nudged me and, you know, he was like the friend that I could always, he thought I was the funniest person on earth, you know, and I think we've all got like a friend who kind of gets you and you know each other well enough that mm. you can make them like really laugh. And the problem is that he's, you know, he's one person on earth. You don't think <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. So you've got to, got to work out how to 
how to access that humour that you're doing for him and, and bring it to mm. a wider audience. So, so I, I signed up for it and I, and I wrote my first 10 minutes. The first 10 minutes for a stand-up is actually, it's not easy, but it's, it's you know, you think of some funny things you said last week or something that you mm. said last year and you sort of compile it and it comes together pretty quickly. And, um, and I won that heat and so I went through the next, um, the following week to represent Waikato at the Nationals and... Um, and I thought yet, well, it was held in the same place, but I thought it yet to write a new ten minutes. You know, mm. well, subsequently learned if you've got a good ten minutes, you just do it over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wrote a new ten minutes and and didn't do quite as good a job the following um, the following week. I think I got a highly commended or something in, in the nationals. Um, the flight of the Concords, early iteration, of the flight of the Concords won. So I met Brett and Jermaine and Tyka and Laura, Paul, and a few others. At that competition, so that you know, I was like eighteen or nineteen mm. then. So mm. it's pretty pretty young. When does it really? When does it make sense to you that this is worthwhile pursuing? And Straight that, away, you're yeah. Just in there, yeah. That well, maybe maybe I would have gone for a, a year or almost a year not doing anything because like where yeah. are you gonna? Yeah, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. I got little MC gigs, you know, like um, a performance cafe up at uni. Oh, that Jesse's done some stand up. You can mm-hmm. do that, you know. And then I think. Then they had the comedy festival, the New Zealand comedy festival had another first time as what's now called their raw competition. Same thing, heat, yeah. heat at Waikato, yeah, and so yeah. I got up and did that. Um, and the and the the prize for that was that you got sort of regular professional gigs in Auckland, which was Kitty Kitty O'Brien's, um, an Irish pub. And so from there, I started on the regular, coming up and doing a Wednesday Thursday night at Kitty O'Brien's. Later became the classic. And then moved to Wellington, there was a bit of a scene down there too. So, yeah, and so from then, age 20 through to age probably 35 or something, I would do like a gig a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and how are you making a living? Uh, radio, commercial You're radio. You're doing commercial radio. Yeah. Which one was it? Um, More, More FM, FM, yeah. And what are you, what's your show? Like, what are you... Uh, I don't listen to commercial radio, so I, yeah. I, I know you were on the station, but were you breakfast host or yeah. drive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was quite a success. So I started, um, I got hired at um, by the Edge in Hamilton as the ad and about guy for the breakfast show, which is quite a good gig when you're 19 years old mm. or whatever I was. I must, must have been 22 by then. Um, and that was like $100 a week, getting up at 5 in the morning and going and doing a full breakfast show, you know, and then... Once they decided they wanted to keep me, they went to two hundred dollars a week, um, and it was like I didn't love it enough that I would keep doing it for that amount of money. So I so I ditched that job. But around the same time, I made a little tape of. So my plan was that I would make these little comedy sketches that would play on the radio and sell them, like mm. get them sponsored. And it made quite a bit of progress on that because um, it would have, would have been a dream job for me, you know, like writing these scripts, coming in and recording yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and I sent one up to More FM Auckland, uh, say, would you be interested in playing these if I could get a sponsor? And they liked it enough that they offered me a job hosting the breakfast show in Wellington. It was a huge deal. It's a yeah. massive jump. Yeah. Um, and uh, over the next sort of few years, I had the probably predictable problems, you know, young kid who had no life experience straight out of university. Loved Gary Shandling and comedy, but but wasn't really great at at bringing it, you know, and mm. and and finding a good way of being funny on the radio. So yeah. battling a wee bit, 
you know, not really having the confidence of the people at the radio station because, like, who is this young kid who's, you know, delivering these top five lists that aren't really landing, yeah, you know, yeah. on, our, on our breakfast show, not rating, working with a guy uh, 10 years older than me who, you know, at the time would have been 33, just seemed so old to me, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, now you've lapped that. Yeah, so yeah, 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 Pete and Jess in the morning. But we did work pretty hard then. We had a boss who, you know, would... So, you know, the only way you're going to win this thing is to go out and door knock. So we'd go, you know, finish the show, then go and walk down the main street of Patoni into businesses saying, oh, if you're giving a radio show, go, you know, tune in. Um, but it was, yeah, that lasted for a few years in various iterations, worked with different people and bumped around the radio station a bit. But it was all the same sort of thing, really, making pretty mediocre radio, mm. not really connecting with any sort of an audience, but, you know having a full-time job, working sort of in the industry, so feeling like I was pretty lucky. You're connected, yeah. yeah. And when when does the next big jump happen for you, a, a break of sorts or a breakthrough? Yeah, um, so eventually did the right thing and left that job and went into a couple of years OE in London. Again, that was a really hard working time for me. You know, I started from scratch, um, cobbled together CV and got a job in a PR firm over there. Um, and... Worked really hard there, but also started doing gigs quite regularly, um, like stand-up gigs. Um, not amazing gigs, but little satellite towns around mm. London where you'd finish a really long day at work, then get on the train and go out to Slough and um, and do your little 10-minute set and then get a ride home or, or, or train home, like really tough yakka. And did you bomb, you know, from time to time? or Yeah, uh, I, I, like, I never know? really bomb, I've got to say. I, I'm more just kind of like people don't laugh, but there's always another joke coming up, you know. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think if you're, if you're a stand-up who relies on the crowd as part of the act, yeah, that's, that's where it goes really <laughs> yeah, yeah, south, yeah. yeah. At worst, I'm just a guy reading out jokes to on wrong, stage. To the wrong people. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which not. is still no fun to be part of. Yeah. And, yeah. But but I got better, you know, like that's the only time where I've been, you know, at times I was doing maybe a couple of gigs a week and your material gets really good. And, and like I said I, earlier, I have realised that it's not enough to just write jokes and read them out. You have to have a little bit of a sense of um, of the stage craft and you only get that by doing it over and over again. So yeah. so the two times I've been best at stand-up is, is there where I was doing it on the regular, and then I came back and did a festival show where I did it like the same show like five nights in a row in Wellington, then came up and did five nights in Auckland. And by the end of that, you're just, you're, you're flying, you know, you get on stage, yeah. you feel like you're meant to be there, something unexpected happens, siren goes past, you've got a great line, you know, someone says something in the audience, you're, you know, like you're just a match fit. Mm. Um, so if I was going to do stand-up again, I think I would... I would have to line up a lot of gigs in a row and understand that I'm just getting better, getting better, getting better, getting and better. And is that is that something you think about doing? And how how would you manage that now? Because I, you know, it would be hard for Jesse Mulligan to go and sneak into a comedy show and debut new material without people going, "Oh, that's the guy off the TV and the radio." Yeah. Although Seinfeld says, you know, like everyone gets a minute. You know, if you're super famous, you have a minute where you either get a lot of goodwill or or yeah. maybe the opposite. But after a minute or so, you're just another guy on stage. Yeah, just trying live, to make live people or die laugh. by the material. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but something you, you'd have to refer to it. Like I used to, um, what I used to say after Seven Sharp, um, 
Uh, yeah, so when I did corporates, because corporates, which I do a few of as well, you do a bit of stand-up, a little yeah. few jokes. It's, yeah. an, it's an artificial environment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, so I used to say, um, hi, it's great to be here at the Hawke's Bay uh, Apricot Growers Awards. Um, a few months ago, your CEO called me up and said, Jesse, would you like to come do this thing? It's on the 26th of January. And I said, oh, sounds really good. Let me check my diary. And he said, don't play hard to get. Everybody in New Zealand knows you've got no place to be at 7 p.m. anymore. I'll see you on the 26th or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that would a huge laugh. It was doing a job where you were, you were saying people like, I know this kind of public failure happened. I'm a TV guy, but I can make fun of myself. Yeah. I know who your CEO is. You know, so as well as kind of... Um, as well as getting a laugh, it was doing all these other sorts of jobs yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, is that something you think about though? Getting back into? Oh, I'd love action. to do it. Yeah, but um, I just don't know if I could at the moment. You know, yeah. three kids and three and, jobs. And, yeah, I was going to say at least three jobs. Yeah, that yeah. just the just the like I could technically do it, but I've got such precious little time. But it's interesting to know it's on your mind, you know, like it's... it's well, I it's think, I think hang, to be taken seriously, yeah. you know, you have to. Um, yeah. As a comedian, you know, you've got to be getting on stage regularly. And also, it's a great challenge, you know, and it's something I'd like to be good at, you know. I've always do you still, been, do you still write bits? Do you have a, no, that's, that's that. my big problem. It's yeah. my big problem as I've never been great at coming up with new stuff. Um and someone's, you know, someone who I trust, Paul Horan, who's actually making a documentary about New Zealand comedy at the moment. He's been in there since the beginning. He said to me once, hey, don't worry about coming up with a 60-minute festival show. Not all comedians are festival comedians. Some mm. people suit getting up there and talking a bit about their life in a you know, 60 minutes. Of, but some people are just 20-minute slot comedians. Why don't you work on getting a 20-minute, a, a great 20-minute mm. set and then travel that? Um, and I, that made a lot of sense to me and made me feel better as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because it's quite tight material as well. You know, like every line is really worked over. You know, like I'm probably one of the few comedians who gets up on stage and will say the exact words that I plan to say, like word yeah, for yeah. word. Well, this is my experience. With, like, I'd, I've never seen you perform comedy beyond, um, you know, one of the kind of must have been like a festival gala thing or something yeah. like the, you, I saw you do a bit mm. on TV and my thoughts were um, that I could tell you know I didn't know anything really about you beyond your, knowing your name seeing it crop up in comedy and knowing you'd done the radio but what I got from you was exactly what we've been talking about I got that the writing mattered to you I could tell you were a, a, yeah. a writing yeah, comic yeah 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 and if you get one word wrong people don't realise but if you get yeah, one word out of place the whole rhythm yeah, it just ruins the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I and so I got that, and then I think so. I, then I, you know, your name comes up in the credits for uh, seven days yeah. and stuff writing, and mm. I'm and I kind of went, well, that makes sense. I, you know, whether I think he's funny or not uh, as a performer, because I only had this one mm. glimpse of it. I was like, I could tell you were a writer. Yeah, you know, I could yeah. see that writing was probably what mattered to you. Yeah, I think that's maybe fair. maybe as much or more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mentioned the comedy roasts before, yeah. which I got to do one. I got to do the roast of Murray Mexted, which was amazing because it's my my favourite joke format. But but people don't realise they think it's just an insult yeah, fest, yeah. you know. But that's just a it's a writer's exercise that mm. comedy roast. Oh, to- it's like you know, 
Greg Giraldo was yeah. was the king of them to me because he combined you know um, he combined both elements so well. His insult stuff was brutal, yeah, and it did that thing like I think and you know cutting reviews in that. One of the reasons people get upset about a cutting review is often there's an element of truth yeah. in it that or or just something. So cutting. I, do you know what? I know so many people who are angry with Steve Braunius yeah. for something he wrote about them 20 years ago. Yeah. And for him it was just a gag, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've yeah. been on the receiving end of his gags. Yeah. Like, um, he's there for he's, the laugh often. But but people remember jokes about themselves because like, they yeah. remember they feel ridiculed, they feel ridiculous. Totally. And I, you know, and Braunius has that uh, fierce, fearsome quality that he asked me to do a book review for the spin-off and I thought I did a pretty good job of it and submitting it was awful yeah. I sent, hit send and I was like fuck is he going to tear this to bits yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't care if he said I don't want it that yeah. would have been sweet relief <laughs> hey thanks for doing that but we're not going to use it it yeah. would have been good I started imagining and I'm not I'm not like this yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. I've fucking been submitting work to people for years and you usually don't hear back and it just goes in but I was thinking because I'd seen him do it. I'd seen him print a book review and write a giant big postscript tearing the book review to mm. bits. And I was like, is he going to do that to me? Is this all an How elaborate it joke? It went great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but don't you think I was going to leave that out because that's a dumb part of the story. <laughs> uh, but don't you think it's important to have people like that in, oh, in your absolutely. life? Absolutely. It was an anxious few days. Then he sent me a message saying, this is really great. I don't think yeah. I've changed the thing. It's going up tomorrow. And yeah, I was like, amazing. fuck, that's a gold medal. Simon, you know? Simon Wilson's another one like yeah. that as well. Yeah. And you've got to have, as you say, you've got to have those people because... Uh, you know, so yeah, I know, I know that he's like that. But Greg Giraldo was, yeah. So he had these savage insults, but the wit was there, the timing, Amazing. the writing, you yeah. know, actual witty setups for these cruel. Jeff Jeffrey Ross is yeah, another one. He is, but he's sort of, yeah, he is, and they sort of call him the roast master. But I always preferred Giraldo. I thought there was more, more maybe more wit and timing to what he did. But Just some like, of Jeff Ross's best stuff was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What he say, you know, Courtney Love. You like the girl next door? If you happen to live next door to a methadone clinic, yeah, yeah. I saw him live in Vegas. I actually like I bought a ticket um, and flew to Las Vegas to this comedy festival over there and saw a lot of these heroes yeah. live. And Jeff Ross, you know, again the writing like here's a, here's a great example of um, of joke writing. So uh, it was one of his opening jokes. He said, "Great to be here in Vegas. I flew JetBlue, whatever the name of the yeah, budget yeah. airline is over there. Yeah, JetBlue." Um, the people you, you know, the people you meet on on a flight like that, you're allowed two items of luggage in your carry-on. The guy next to me had a motorbike and a pinball machine. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. those. You could not find two greater objects to yeah, make that yeah, yeah, joke yeah, work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and yeah, that, and, and yeah, it's right. My, my problem with him has only been, I think, finding out politically how unaligned I would be with him. That. That has, oh, is he one of those? Yeah. Because Dennis Miller's like that yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. So he's a similar kind of character. So that, uh, maybe I've ruined him for you now, but that 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 yeah. did put me off him. You know, yeah, the, yeah, he's done a lot I, of shows for the troops. And I think this is the thing with comedy, you know, like uh, I've always been able to be quite relaxed around the concept of, hey, that person's a bad person, but they've made great art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, my favourite record this year is by a dude who's still in prison right. for life <laughs> yeah. for murdering someone, but he put out a record 
uh, that he worked on over 10 years and he's released it from prison and that's my favourite album this year I don't have a problem that he murdered someone because <laughs> it, because it's not relevant to the music yeah. but comedy is and so what I'm getting to is this is why it was impossible to not have feelings around the Bill Cosby thing yeah. because he actually created a persona it that undermines, was an elaborate lie. Yeah, 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 it undermines. You know, he created a wholesome character that was actually mm, an elaborate ruse, I yeah. think. And so it, it may, you know, for all the, because a lot of us grew up on his comedy one way or another, and yeah. I had, had memories of him doing a two-hour special where he sits in a chair with the microphone, holding it on his thigh, and he just speaks. There's not a swear word. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's like theatre. In fact, um, but it's a lie, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a fake version of his life. He's, he's you don't realise he's a comedian's comedian. Um, I went, uh, like, I saw this panel discussion at that same festival in Las Vegas. Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock, um, and Chris Rock talks about going to see a Cosby show, and that's what made him get back into comedy. Mm, yeah, yeah, said, yeah. Like, I went along, and he was like two hours, and then took a break yep. and came and did another hour or something. Yeah, I've heard him talk about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so he was this. But as I say, it was all a lie. It was all because Richard Pryor, who, you know, obviously uh, incredibly important and influential comedian, but problematic for a lot of people because mm. he would just get up and spill his guts about Dark Night of the Soul stuff. Mm. You know, he 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 does this rant and and t- talks about, I don't know, giving a guy a blowjob or, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> taking it in the ass or, or giving it or whatever. Mm. And people are shocked. And then he just turns around and goes, I'm not being homophobic, I, I did that. Yeah. And he owns it, and he ends up doing this amazing sort of confessional yeah. thing about, hey, man, I grew up in a whorehouse. You know, and, and this guy, his life was savage. You know, he was, uh, it's, it's awful to, mm. to think about and hear about. And, and I guess his therapy was going on stage and outing that stuff. Yeah, and there's a, as with any art, I suppose, there's, truth has power, right? And that's, that's where Gary Shandling was getting yep. to later yep. later in life, you know, yeah. make it true, find the truth. Yeah. And I, I, again, I think if I went back to stand-up, I'd be tr- I'd be trying to get to that a bit more. Mm. Um, r- randomly, I saw Maeve Higgins, um, Irish comedian, yep. at, the, at the festival a few years ago, and she was really funny and what really struck me afterwards was she didn't say anything in her whole hour long show that I thought oh that that bit was just to make that joke work and lots of people, lots of us yeah. do that like, yeah. I was on a bus little, on the way here the, someone, said, someone said thank you driver and yeah. you know <laughs> no, you went on a bus today you yeah, know? yeah 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 but, but she was 100% honest and there's something to that I think you mm. know again if I sat down to write for stand up I would be tr- I think this time around I would be trying to be honest and, and, mm. and to be, you know, I heard Liz Fair, uh, who's a, you know, I'm a massive fan of the musician on Song Exploder recently. Oh, was that's it? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that one's good. Uh, yeah. No, I was reading a transcript of her interview with Snail Mail, another new artist, and she was saying she doesn't feel like she's done a good job on a song unless she's slightly nervous about putting it out of yeah, the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think this is it. There's too much complacency in a lot of the art that uh, and entertainment that, that not just in New Zealand, but obviously I'm, yeah. I'm most, I have been quite focused on what comes out in New Zealand mm. at various points. And I think that's, that's the word for it is this complacency. Hey, we got funded, so we're allowed to make something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not... <laughs> That's not why you make something. Yeah, I, yeah. I get that that's a means of creating something, um, 
fiscally, but that's not the reason to create something, yeah. you know, and that's a big problem, um, is this complacency. Mm. And it's something you would struggle with returning to comedy. <laughs> You've got, you know, what are you going to do? Talk about having a, a, a family that loves you and that you love and, and, yeah. and three successful public platforms. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, doesn't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't lend itself instantly to... But there's always something there that of you Of course there is, so but, but, but that doesn't lend itself to people sympathising with, oh, yeah. they, oh, the struggles this man must have, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. and that's, that's what I mean about what you would fight, I think, in a way. Yeah. Um, you have to let people know straight away that you yeah. didn't think you were that great. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So you come back from the UK. Why? By the way, just a, just something on word yeah. choice. You know, I talk about that Jeffrey Ross joke. Yeah. Uh, motorcycle on a pinball machine. That's the number one way anyone can improve their writing, their sense of humour, is just to choose a different word. You know what I, I, I was always think about yoga when anyone, anyone's making a yoga joke everyone always says downward dog it's like 35 really funny positions you <laughs> yeah, can choose yeah, anything yeah, and yeah. it would be funnier than downward dog yeah yeah <laughs> so that's my message that's to anyone listening to that yeah, word yeah. choice yeah. think of another word yeah um, yeah so I came back came back here and was a bit sort of lost for a while I got a PR job in, in Auckland and um, why do you come back you just done your stint yeah done no, two years yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and and then got offered a job back on More FM, and I'd made so much fun of my time at More FM in Wellington. You know, I was like, you know, commercial radio, lost, common yeah. denominator, the worst of the worst, bottom of the barrel. And I was like, man, I tell you what, though. <laughs> yeah, I had a job, but, but in terms of, like, being in a new city, it would really be a quick shortcut to a social life and yeah. to some sort of, yeah. you know... And, you know, I've got to say that although the PR job was um, was quite a good one I had here, I did sort of feel like something was missing just being a guy going to work each day and then coming home, you know, doing eight to six or whatever it was. And I wonder if that is a personality weakness of mine of, of whether whether I missed that sort of uh, limelight's the cliche, it's the wrong word, mm. you know, but but maybe I was so much happier when I was back on radio and, you know, a mm. little bit famous. Yeah, yeah. So that's something, you know, that's probably probably there in the background. I mean, it's, you know, because I really, I really don't have much respect for people who need the fame and need the adulation, but yet I suspect it is probably in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It never comes up anymore because I have as much as I need, you know, like yeah. each day I, we're doing this in the RNZ studio, so each day I log into that computer over there and, you know, log into the text and get, you know, five people saying, oh, it's a great show, you know, yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. so you never kind of like need that itch scratch. Yeah, yeah. But but I think it's probably there somewhere. Uh, when do you get into the restaurant writing, food? When does, yeah, food, when yeah. does food, we should talk about that because that's an interesting element of your, uh, there are people that, you know, I mentioned to someone that I was coming to talk to you and they said uh, yesterday and they said, oh yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't listen to RNZ and I don't watch TV. I occasionally watch the project now, but I love his food writing. Oh uh, yeah. And that's, that's how fun. they know you. Yeah, you know that's what funny, I mean? eh? Because they're a person who follows food writing, you know. Yeah, um... Like I said, just being in London and um, and loving the writing, um, yeah. and then I actually yeah, yeah uh, Giles Corrin's my guy, yeah, um, and I work, actually worked in food PR over there as well. Right. So I've always been a yeah. foodie, so I kind of knew enough about it to give it a go, and so 
that was actually one of the, the rare sort of methodical things I've done career-wise is when I got back here, I just started writing about, writing a blog about food, everything I ate, you know, whether it was a, like a takeaway or a pie from the service station or something, I'd write yeah. a little blog post and try and make it funny. Yeah. Uh, so that when I got the opportunity and met an editor, I could say, hey, look, I, Here's my this, body this is what I do, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. which, which yeah, I'd recommend to anyone trying totally. to get in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, side note, like no one's stopping you yeah. being a restaurant reviewer if you want to be a restaurant reviewer. Yeah, it's you never know. been easier now um, too with those things. Like, right. You know, um, music journalism is probably a little bit different now, but the, the principle is the same. I always get asked, from people, how did you get into reviewing, and you know, how would you recommend for a, a kid if they want to do it? It's like they just start a blog on, you know, they just right. start a Facebook page, whatever. They just and get, that's, that's get writing, put your thoughts out. That's there. true of every everything, yeah. by the way. Like yeah. I, I know someone who's really high in event management, and um, she says she's interviewing you um, and people wanting jobs straight out at a grad school, um, grad school straight out of university. And she said, "Have you got any experience?" And they said, "No, I've just come from university." And she says to them. No one was stopping you running an event. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to run an event, yeah. you know, you mm. can do it. So, um, yeah, so that's what I did anyway. And um, and Simon Wilson at Metro, um, my, my wife, then girlfriend, tapped him on the shoulder at some event and said, oh, you should check out my boyfriend's blog. And he, yeah, liked he it did. and offered me a... Yeah, and it went kick. from there. Mm. And, uh, and you've managed to sort of keep at that... Yeah, yeah, well, it's, I really treasure it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. It really is a dream job. I guess that is your, writing-wise, that's your creative outlet. Yeah, it's now. 800 and, words a week. In place of comedy, Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 800 words a week, you know, write it every Friday morning on deadline. Um, it's great. It's a thing to look thing forward to. to. Yeah, yeah and you, and I, you get to eat in a restaurant yeah, each yeah, week. Yeah, but I bet you get up. To attack that job, looking forward to it. Yeah, sitting definitely. Down. And yeah. doesn't mean it's not. E- it doesn't mean it's easy every week, but that's you know. Yeah, yeah. like I I used to write the restaurant review for Viva and a column for New Idea each yeah. week, and I really would dread the New Idea one. Right. Yes, five hundred words about yeah. some aspect of domestic life. Sort of the more FM of journalism. That's what you're Probably. About, really. Probably. Doesn't, yeah. I mean. No disrespect to the people no. who worked at New Idea. That magazine's closed now. So, yeah. but um, but there were good people working there. But it's yeah. just you know, I'd still try to make it good. Mm. But it wasn't something I really cared about. So, what what happens next? Significant for you? I guess it's seven sharp. Uh, so now probably next actually is um, being on on air more FM in Auckland, and yeah. then seven days starting up. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Ben Hurley, who's a Good mate of mine who rated me as a writer, put me forward as a as a writer for that yep. show, yep. and so so that was great. And mostly writing in the early days because they stuck to the same cast. Yeah. And then I got a couple of goes at that. Being on the panel. Yep. And then became a regular on the panel, so yep. I was doing it as much as anyone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was for probably two or three years writing, and uh, so I got out of the radio thing. Great excuse. Um, and it's been a it's been a. I would think quite a bizarre runaway success that show really. Yeah. You know, I I would imagine maybe maybe some of the people involved had a, a confidence around it, a hope, but I don't imagine anyone could have quite predicted that it would yeah. be received the way it was. Yeah. It was great. It was a great formula, you know. People who were doing stand up enough that they were genuinely funny now, plus you know a few wise heads, um, you know, off camera. Yeah. Plus the the luxury of doing a you know three hour show and then 
edit Taking down to 22 bits. minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 Live audience. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. So how does Seven Sharp come up for you? You get um, approached? Yeah, they're, they're sort of openly sort of casting around and um, and I knew someone in the organisation and so I said, would you give me an audition? And I think I solved a lot of problems for them, you know, being mm. a young, mm. new face, mm. comedy. Mm. They were trying to create a... They were trying to address... They were trying uh, to make a project. Yeah, yeah, but they were also trying to address a sort of a diversity type issue. You know, let's yeah. not just have stuffy old newsreaders. Let's have someone a bit younger. Yeah. Let's have a female yeah. and a male ratio, that sort of thing, which is now common place. But, yeah. But well, I say back then it wasn't that long ago, but no. that, that was sort of when it was starting to be actually addressed, that yeah. we should have some different coloured faces and some different... Yeah. Ages and stages and shapes and sizes, yeah. not just your cliche newsreader couple, right? Well, we we're still all thin and white, but uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but it was, you know. I think Greg had some target of and yeah, yeah, right. Getting towards that, though. I mean, not just seven sharp. I just mean in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So obviously, the show you're on now addresses that much better. Yeah, in fact, when we started, you know, Carnor and Josh and me, two brown faces and me, and you know. Um, my wife used to say, geez, when I turn on Seven Sharp now, it looks so white. You yeah, know? <laughs> right. So was Seven Sharp a, a happy experience or not for you? Uh, I was. Pr- I, my, my feeling is you left quite quickly, or it, but I, I could have that wrong. Like. Yeah. Um, and I will say, like, every time I do a, a decent sit-down interview, Seven Sharp comes up, which I've got no problem with, but sure. it ends up being sort of the, the headline, you know? The, yeah. the, the Herald twice has run the headline, Jesse Mulligan opens up about the dark days of Seven Sharp. Right, I think I've seen one of those headlines yeah, and I yeah, didn't yeah. read it. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's in a conversation yeah. just like this yeah. where someone asks me and so I'll give them honest impressions, but, you know, do See, I See, wanna... I'm not going to edit this out, though. Well, this is no, gonna, that's, that's this fine. This is the thing, you get to own this. I'm not, I'm not, this is not going to suddenly be at the start of the podcast. No, no, but it's not inconceivable that stuff will listen to this podcast yeah. and then run a headline, oh, no. Jesse. They won't listen to it because they don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> they won't so, acknowledge it. So, you know, I'll resist the temptation to sure. tell the same story again, yeah. apart from to say, so I, I was the the one presenter who lasted the whole year, um, Greg left early, Ali um, left at the end of that year, and then I came back the following year with Mike and Tony, and that lasted for a few months, but the dynamic wasn't really there, so I mm. left. Yeah, yeah. And... You leave to do what? To come here? Or no, not quite? No, th- no, it was pretty quiet then. I mean, luckily, right, so this, someone... is, this is when you're doing your jokes at the <laughs> at the speaking events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's and, a and luckily, that. And yeah. luckily for someone moderately famous in New Zealand, you do have those speaker events, which yeah. are like gratuitously well paid, so yes. you can sort of survive yep. doing that. I did Best Bits actually straight after yeah, that, which yeah. was a kind of a um, panel comedy show on TV One, which was quite a good show at... Um, Never rated quite well enough, but we did two or three series of that, mm. plus corporate work, and then new idea column and the restaurant review and a bit of travel writing, and mm. so you know enough to enough to go. Okay. And then you and then you get this job, yeah. RNZ Afternoons flagship show, and I wonder if it's a version of what you were what we were talking about with people like Wilson and Braunius and those and those sort of figurehead. You know, heroes that you don't want to disappoint, but you know you could. Mm-hmm. But stepping into this as a radio version of that, I would think. 
Yeah, or although like, I, I had no idea of really of the the legacy. I was never an RNZ listener. Um, no, but the RNZ listeners are RNZ listeners. Yeah, you know, so yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. So you, it's even trickier. Like in a way, they are almost your boss on some level. Yeah, definitely. You, know, you work for them. But I probably wasn't aware of it, which made yeah. it, made it easier. Right. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, I would never have probably put my hand up for this job. I would have just assumed it was something that I couldn't do. Yeah. Um, and I did. A, I hosted a panel discussion at the museum, just one of those you know speaker events that came up, and they recorded it for RNZ. And Paul Bushnell, who is um, who runs the office RNZ Auckland, um, was really nice enough to call up the guys in Wellington and say, hey, I just saw this guy Jesse to this panel, I think he'd be great as a, as a um, host on the radio station. And so they started, they lined me up for a couple of, I filled in for Wallace Chapman once and filled in for Simon Mercep once. And yeah, it seemed to, it seemed to go well enough that, yeah. you know, that ended up being permanent. What's, um, I mean, how long have you been at, at it now here? Three years. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, three. yeah, three years. And what's uh, you know what's been, what was the moment when it clicked for you? How, um, how long do you think? Yeah. It took? So this is the, uh, the feedback was really great from the yeah, start, which is yeah. cool. Although subsequently, I hear from a lot of people they're like, oh, I wasn't sure at first. But, you know, <laughs> now they tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is fine. Uh, it's like probably the one job I do where I don't put anything on, you know, so yeah, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, you can turn up and whatever you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't mean literally... No, no, I know, but, but there's that too, like, and you... Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, you just, you're a, you're a, you're a filter for the conversation. Yeah, 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 I just am genuinely an, an interested guy, I suppose, and yeah. that's what I try and be, and I don't, I never, I never write lines for, um, for radio, you know, I think we have kind of funny moments, but, yeah, yeah, but I never yeah. write... And you're liners. able to jump in on those from time to time. You know, you're able to see, yeah. see a moment with your uh, background and timing <laughs> and go. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, I was going to, I didn't want to make it sound cruel, but I was going to say when you were talking about not bombing in comedy, but yeah. but maybe delivering the either the wrong line at the wrong time yeah. or to the wrong audience, you would have moments of that doing this job. Yeah. You'd say something and, and then go, and you don't have an applause button uh, yeah. and you don't have but you would probably say something and then go in a way you would go I almost feel like you've done that when I've talked to you where there's a pause where you're probably going now did that land properly <laughs> you know yeah I don't worry about it so much although sometimes if I do try a line and I get it totally slightly off I'll mm. know that it didn't quite work but you know sometimes yeah. you've got to try things my, my favourite thing on the radio is when when an interviewee is being a bit crazy or or a little bit sort of um off yeah and you and you know and the audience knows yes. and you almost don't need to say anything but yeah. just the slightest hint yeah for people listening that you're in on it with yeah them. yeah yeah um yes totally w- which if you if you don't hear without that, so, without resorting to mocking someone or yeah whatever. yeah yeah because yeah. that's not i mean i think probably one of the strengths of our show is that it's a really supportive environment for an you interviewee don't, you but, don't but occa- down, occasionally yeah. you'll get some random on yeah you know yeah um and and that's yeah it's a, it's a and how do you i mean i haven't heard too many on your show i guess I've, I've, i feel like a couple of times i've been sitting in the wellington booth and i've heard someone directly before me mm. occasionally you'll get someone who the nature of radio is you get someone who's an expert in their field it doesn't mean they're an expert in talking on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so you have to develop this uh, almost like a coaching kind of approach yeah. where you're 
nurturing them through. They're talking to you about a complex issue they understand, but they can't get the words yeah. out in the way you're used to when you talk to someone else. So you have to adapt to that too. Yeah, well, weirdly, one of the things that I think I'm probably best at on radio is is something that came up really early in the, in the career, back in the out and abouts, yeah. you know, out on the streets of Hamilton on the edge, which is um, making the person you're talking to the star, which yes. sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it comes up on a daily basis here in a, in a project, which is when I'm trying to work out what to ask someone, I, I, I often find myself stripping the information or the flourish out of the question to make it yes. as short and as simple a question as possible, you know? The... Um, so not feeling as though you need to demonstrate your knowledge on your sleeve or ask a f- funny question yeah. Yeah. or, you know, or or seem like you've done a lot of research um, just to really supply them the best opportunity to do what they, what they yeah, can yeah. do. So, yeah. you know, I think... Yeah, as I say, because I think you get the you get the credit anyway if you've yeah. got an interesting person on and you're yeah, asking the right, right question at the right and time. And that's what I mean. You're the filter. You're the you, yeah. it comes through you. Yeah, yeah. But you're not there to you know di- yeah, to direct it all towards you sometimes and particularly on the project I think of this maybe because I've got other people interviewing with me if someone is really not going well as an interviewee you think to yourself well if there's going to be any entertainment here we're going to have to create it so yeah. you know that's when you yeah, start yeah. G'ing up and you yeah. know and you get to tag in and out yeah, there. Yeah, and, yeah. and I guess just the the nature of a different person trying something can open an interviewee up mm. You know, for some and again, that's I, I don't watch the project a whole lot. Uh, when I do, I've seen when I've seen someone maybe slightly bomb in their delivery of a question to someone, you're all intuitively quick at going. Yeah, someone yeah, else yeah. pick this up, and then the person comes around. Yeah, yeah. Some of those, some of those good sort of um, building blocks of being a good broadcaster presenter. And it's quite rare, you know, to find someone like I've got Kano next to me mm. who's always good that sort of stuff. And yeah. in the first few months of the project. I would go. I'd start to turn to her and say to her, "Hey, maybe this guest we should replace that word, or maybe we should, um, you know, take that question out and replace it." And then she'd always do it just before I said it, you know. Yeah, so yeah, her brain yeah. is yeah. really locked into yeah. what needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's great. So was there a moment when you do the project and afternoons on RNZ? Is there a moment when you're like, "I can't do that"? Like, why are you doing both? And that uh, people have have said of you to me that guy must be doing both jobs cause um, he needs the money and, <laughs> uh, and obviously that is a reason anyone does work um, and then other people go that guy must do both those jobs because he loves the sound of his own voice <laughs> and rah 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 and so why are you doing both you know what is it about yeah, well, that appeal to you it's not the money the money's always incidental you know like I forget to invoice for the project I'd probably still do it even if it was um even if I was doing it for free and same with the RNZ job I mean you need to live yeah 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 Um, but yeah I look look forward to both jobs I've had jobs before where you really dread Monday morning on a Sunday night you know um, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, common. I think it's almost normal. Yeah, I was going to say that's yeah. incredibly common, right? <laughs> so to, to actually have two jobs where you really look forward to going to work is, is rare and, and it won't last forever, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. why not? Yeah. Have you had um, experiences on live TV or live radio where it's been an, a bit of a disaster for you and you can't just kind of laugh your way through it? Um, Does anything stand out as like yeah, a, and, yeah. you know, Maybe it's not your fault. No, maybe definitely. it's that thing you were saying about the guest just being so incredibly wrong. 
Yeah, there's two things uh, I'll give you. One was, and they're both um, losing control of a situation. Yeah, yeah. So one was recently I had a woman come on to talk about her thesis uh, and she spoke really slowly and it sort of um, ignored my questions, which is fine. She had what she was wanted to say. And I could see this clock ticking then that we were coming to the end of her <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. And she started, uh, and I said to her, so what did you find out in your thesis? And, and I said, and by the way, you've only got about 60 seconds here um, before I'm going to have to move on to the next thing. Mm. And so again, she didn't answer my question and she started on something else. And so I gave her like two minutes and yeah. then I had to interrupt and say, look, I'm really sorry, we've got to go to the next thing. And I'm looking at the clock as I talk to you because, you know, there's this mental calculation going the whole time yeah, when you've yeah, got to get yeah. out of one thing. Yeah. She was qu quite shocked at being abruptly cut off, interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you heard that on air as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of last resort type stuff, I imagine, for you. You'd need, you'd, you'd doesn't don't, often happen. No, you don't want to do her, it. I'd give her a warning, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, but there was just no way I could let her keep talking. Yeah, but yeah. I but I did it in, in such a way, even though I'd given her the warning, that it, it sounded like I'd ripped her off. Yeah. And then I went to the next thing, which probably didn't sound that vital. Yeah. And, you know, a few people, not too many, but a few people emailed and said, you know, that woman had taken all this time to come in and tell you about her thesis. Yeah. How could you cut her off when she was in mid-flight? I was going to say this earlier. It's like you must have logged just on the RNZ job, you know, so many thousands of hours of radio. And the, the interesting thing about, and I guess this is why people get frustrated with criticism, the interesting thing about criticism of a role like that is people are going to pick three or four moments that they thought were uncomfortable or, uh -huh. <laughs> or whatever. And we're talking, you know, maybe a minute or two's worth of audio <laughs> yeah, yeah. out of, you know, these 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 seamless, thankless roles yeah. where you do them forever and everything runs smoothly and no one sits and goes, that per that person or those people, because you have a team, those people put together a three or four hour show every day and it mostly runs like mm. like. I guess it's no more extraordinary than anyone else's job in some sense. Everyone turns up and does their job, but there is a, lo a, a pressure around live, and, and there and is a... Yeah, and uh, I mean, I can't think of any time anyone's done that, but but that is how criticism works. You pick a couple of things, yeah. but hopefully you'll pick things that are indicative of, the, of mm. what's going on, you know, yeah. like hopefully you would, if you were writing about the show, you would pick a time when I had a difficult situation and got out of it and left everyone happy. Yes, yes. You know, like I, you know, I talked about that Robin Williams biography... Yeah, how was it? Um, uh, yeah, it was, it's it was, on my reading list and I had to return it. Yeah, um, it was okay. So but yeah. there was one moment in that biography, a, a real shocker of a moment, um, where they were talking about the show Happy Days. Yeah. And, and the writer wrote, uh, at the end of season four, Happy Days writers were really struggling for material uh, and they ended up writing one storyline where... The lead character, Arthur Fonzarelli, had to jump over a shark in his water skis to get out of some gang feud or whatever. Now, uh, jumping the shark is yeah. such a well-known pop culture reference. Yeah. To choose that one episode and not reference Jump the Shark seemed like almost criminal to me. Oh, you know, like to not was, unpack the fact that it's gone on to become a yeah, pop culture. This guy was just choosing just, the thing as yeah. his, his observation. Right. And, oh. and, and when so, something like that happens, it ruins... It does, and yet I didn't yeah. mention in the review because it, it didn't... 
indicate really anything. It was the only time in the book that yeah, it had yeah, that yeah. clunk, you yeah. know. It was a, it was it was tone deaf, but yeah. most of his stuff was beautifully original yeah. and well researched. And so you elect not to mention that because yes. Also, it it's t- it's it's really really deeply. <laughs> yeah, parenthetical when it comes to Robin Williams' life to, yeah, to yeah, focus yeah. on that. Well, Mork, if it was Mork, a, Mork was a spin-off. I, I know that, yeah. but if it was a biography of Henry, Win- yeah, Henry yeah, Winkler or, yeah, yeah. or a book about happy days, yeah, maybe, maybe that, that's when it would come out. But, yeah. you know, maybe that's the decision he made. But I agree, you'd think just a one line in brackets yeah. would have yeah. smoothed the whole thing over. Or, or, fam- or the writers yeah. famously wrote this, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's the next sort of plans for you broadcasting-wise? Like, what's the sh- Do you have a, an understanding of a shelf life around what you're doing? Um, hopefully I'll be able to keep doing RNZ for a few years. Yeah. I'm still probably on the young enough side of the lecture yeah, yeah, that I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, not in any danger of feeling too old on the station. Um, and the show's varied enough that yeah. uh, you know, it's not going to get a stale point because the content shifts enough. Hopefully, Hopefully yeah. yeah. And uh, and Caitlin, um, my executive producer, and yeah. I are both of the mind that if we've been a few weeks and nothing new has sort of happened on the show that will generate something. You know, we had a battle yeah. of the cover band competition earlier this year. Yeah. You know, had a best guitar solo, listener source best guitar solos feature, you know, things like that, where, yeah. which will kind of lift us yeah, for yeah. a few weeks and, yeah. and, you know, make us feel like we're doing something yeah. a bit different. So, yeah, that's good. And then the project, um, the, the job is to get that to a point where it's rating strongly enough that it's an essential feature of TV3. Um, and it seems to be improving yeah. all the time. Like, yeah. as I say, it's a show I only check in with every now and then, yeah. just because I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, and uh, I've, I can see the leap yeah, yeah. In, in its overall feel and flow. Yeah. It doesn't feel forced. And those things do feel, you know, Seven Sharp was the same. Those things do feel forced yeah. to begin with because they're completely yeah, because unnatural. Because they are forced, they yeah. Are. Exactly. It's a, but, but it's not enough to have a good show. You've got to have people watching the show as well, you know. Yeah. And um, We've had a good year so far, um, ratings-wise, but, but, you know, it needs to keep going up. And so yeah. so maybe it won't and it'll all fall over in a year or, or maybe it will and, you mm. know, in this kind of like radio TV thing will have five years in it. Who knows? But, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and but I don't spend any time worrying about it. And I've... Someone said to me the other day when I said I was going to talk to you, they were talking about all the things you do as comes up, as we've talked about, mm. and they said, you know, and and he's a very um, and he's a very good dad and a very involved and active dad. So how does that <laughs> fit into the structure of your day and week? Yeah, well, I say no to things on weekends mostly now. Yeah, um, and I don't weekend as family. Time. Yeah, I don't have to come to radio till sort of ten o'clock ish. Yeah. Um, so I've got all the morning with the kids. Um, and yeah, so you know, I think if you can have mornings and weekends and holidays, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. You know, plenty of lawyers and um, yeah, yeah. You know, know property developers yeah, yeah, yes. are leaving at seven in the morning and getting back at seven and not seeing the kids at all. Yeah, you know, so yeah, yeah. I don't think in terms of like raw hours on the job, I'm much different to any busy Auckland parent. Yeah. 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 In Mate. fact, I'm probably luckier in some respects. Yeah, exactly. So that, that, that morning, not being, not having to rush mm. out of the house, yeah, or, or or take them to school or whatever, and not having any weekend work really. That's that's a bit of a bonus too. Yeah, unless you occasionally choose to do a speaking gig. Or yeah, which, 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 I, which I, tend, I tend not to now. now. But yeah, and it would be when they were obviously there's some prep involved, but it'll be when the mm. kids are in bed and yeah things. Yeah, so no, definitely being a. Uh, a 
good dad is the most important thing for me, good dad and good husband. Um, but it all sort of fits together pretty well now. Mm. Well, it's been um, great finding out about how all of that fits yeah. and, and, and getting to talk to you about comedy because uh, I've, I've heard you talk about comedy with a few of your guests that comes up from time to time, whether they're a comedian or not, and uh, and I always think, when do I get to have the comedy? Because yeah. I guess we're from the same you know generation, yeah, so yeah. same era, so my experiences are the same growing up. And when you mentioned things like the young ones and then I was thinking, some of that stuff's a bit naughty when you first see it or a bit you don't actually understand all of it yeah, that's yeah, part of the magic of yeah, it right yeah. then you go back and watch it a year or two or ten years later and you start yeah you're yeah. up at East Charters you meet at East yeah, Charters yeah, yeah 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 and you can quote all of the stuff yeah. but sometimes you didn't even know what it quite know, meant when I'm you could quote saying it saying to mum 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 what's a fascist what's a sick of <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah, go to the yeah. human league <laughs> <laughs>